This episode contains content related to domestic violence and may be a sensitive topic for some. Listener discretion is advised. On the last, complicit. They took the curtain out of the house. They took Victor and Gabby's workman. Then they went to the yard and took two trails. Victor and Gabby's boss was found dead in his hotel room. She was asking if any apartments were available. She said she had to get out of a bad situation. I look on Messenger and I see this message from her that, you know, he beat her up and that she's scared. Her message said, I don't know what to do. I need to get out of this situation. I need help. Twenty-nine days since this missing Cape Coral mother was last seen. Lauren Demolo just turned 30 on Tuesday. Demolo hasn't been seen in more than a month now. John Kaiser, Carl Crow, and Amy Seegers are all charged with tampering with physical evidence and mishandling human remains. Where is Lauren Demolo? I'm Hillary Wadsworth, and I'm Caitlin Body. And you're listening to Complicit. Chapter 11. On again, off again. Up until this point, the main events regarding Lauren's disappearance have been told in chronological order, as they've happened. And we will continue to tell that story a bit later. But in this episode and the next one, we're going to take you back in time to before Lauren disappeared, because there were some things that happened that were discovered that might fill in the picture a bit more. We'll start with the alarming text message Erica received on May 22nd, 2020, exactly four weeks before Lauren disappeared. Lauren wrote that Gabby had beaten her up pretty badly and that she was scared, that she needed help. She also said it was the first time this had happened. She said, he's never hit me before. Shit's crazy. I need to get out of here. Even though Lauren and Gabby had been together for four years, Lauren shielded their relationship from much of her family and even her closest friends. And this was not like Lauren, according to those close to her. The allegations of Gabby's abuse had seemingly come out of nowhere that day. After all, Lauren had only posted happy, smiling photos with gushing remarks on social media and told people that Gabby treated her like a queen. She'd even remarked to her online spiritual brothers and sisters that he was the best thing in her life. So what happened on May 22nd to change all that? We're now going to dig deeper into Lauren and Gabby's relationship. As much as we can, that is. We'll start with a new voice. Meet Christian, another very close friend of Lauren's. My name is Christian. I met Lauren about eight or nine years ago down in South Florida. Lauren's like family to me. You know, when I met her, it was like I had just like an instant connection with her and you know, for me, I believe that like we have 
multiple soulmates in life. And like, for me, Lauren was like one of my soulmates. Lauren and Christian had lived together for a good amount of time. Lauren had even lived with Christian's family at one point. They were close and they had been through a lot together. I've seen pretty much every side to Lauren that there is. I knew, you know, the father of her daughter and, you know, like anyone that Lauren ever dated was seeing important people in her life, her friends, you know, guys that she was dating. You know, I've heard about all of them in detail. Stories, you know, like having a good laugh, good times, bad times. But I've never heard one story about Gabby. So I've never met Gabby. I know very little about Gabby. And that in itself speaks volumes. So if she were to tell me that, you know, things were tumultuous, chaotic, dangerous, if he was violent, you know, I definitely would have spoken my mind on the issue. So instead, I feel like there was nothing said because whatever it was to be said wasn't good. One day I called her in the car and she was very like short, like one word answers. She said she had to go and she got off the phone. And as soon as we hung up the phone, she was texting me that she can't talk right now. She feels like she's censoring herself. I said, are you, are you talking about your boyfriend or who are you talking about? Her response was, he's everything. I didn't know if that was like a good thing or a bad thing. It was just weird to me. She would post pictures on Facebook that like everything's great and the love of my life. And to me, it was a show. Whatever was really going on in that relationship and in their home life, I think that it was a show. Here's Erica again, echoing a similar sentiment as Christian. Erica has also known Lauren for about nine years, and they too lived together at one point. I've never met her boyfriend, Gabby, but she's told me good things about him, but also not so good things. She did tell me that every time it came to the bills need to be paid, he would disappear and leave her stuck to figure it out on her own. She told me that like she was like stuck, you know, she had nowhere to go. She had no money. Then I look on Messenger and I see this message from her that, you know, he beat her up and that she's scared and she just wants out of this relationship. The only facts I know is that her boyfriend beat her up. Her boyfriend acted real, real shady once she became missing. And to me, I just have this gut feeling that he knows. He knows what happened to her. He knows where she is. Here's the thing. You don't live with somebody. You're with them 24-7. They become missing. And you just, you know nothing. Lindsay had the most interaction with Gabby since she lived nearby, and Lauren seemed to confide most in her. Back on April 18th, two months before she disappeared, Lauren and Lindsay were texting about Gabby, and Lauren was feeling sad. She wrote, It sucks because I love him and I want to be with him, but we're not good for each other. We don't build each other up. It's so unhealthy. He's always miserable, and I'm tired of feeling like I'm the reason for it. I'm really starting to watch it implode in front of my eyes. I know it's over, and it makes me sad. 
This wasn't the first time Lindsay had heard this from Lauren. According to Lindsay, she'd been feeling like this for a while. I know she loved him a lot. There are so many times, like, I know they're just pictures on Facebook, but like, she would always post them going like out to dinner or just something silly that he got her. And I've heard her say a few times, I want more from him. You know, they've just broke up a lot because they didn't want the same things. But it seemed like even within the family, there was no clear answer about Lauren and Gabby's relationship or the status of it. Her and Gabby had broken up and she was distraught over the breakup. Yeah. And they talk on the news like, oh, this is her longer boyfriend. As far as I knew, they were broken up when she disappeared. I don't know why no one talks about that. I heard from Jeffrey a few times because Gabby would confide in Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. I can't do this with your sister anymore. I can't. She's just, she's just too difficult. Whatever the situation was, I don't know. But then he'd take her back in a minute. I mean, it was a toxic relationship, clearly. Yeah. I mean, they were breaking up all the time. Paul, living so far away, kept in close contact with Lauren, but had limited knowledge of Gabby. And what he did know, he didn't exactly like. For one thing, Gabby was 14 years older than Lauren, which caused him to raise an eyebrow. But their age difference wasn't the only thing that concerned Paul. I looked up his background and, you know, he had domestic violence charges against him. Remember when we said the Lee County Sheriff's records are public? Those charges were filed by Gabby's ex-wife back in June of 2014. And Paul wasn't even talking about records just in Florida. Gabby also had public records in Racine, Wisconsin, which we'll circle back to. I know he had uh, other charges, I believe, with drug charges and alcohol. You know, he had all sorts of issues. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't understand what the hell my daughter was doing with him. I didn't know that he was beating her all the time, which he was. I only found that out about a month prior to because she sent me pictures. I have six daughters. I never hit my daughters, ever. And I'll be damned if somebody else is going to hit my kids. I have a real hard time with that. Lauren seemed to have hidden this abuse from her friends and family who she might have thought would intervene on her behalf. I didn't know because she didn't want to tell me. I don't know if it's out of embarrassment or whatever, she, you know, or knowing what could possibly happen to Gabby if I come down there. She had called me a couple of times and said that they would argue. And I had always offered for her to come here and stay for a while that it was always a safe haven for her, that wherever I was in my life, no matter what I was doing in my life, that I would always be her safe haven. And she said, I know, that's why I love you, Aunt Sue. And she said, but no, I'm gonna get through this. And I always said to her, just make sure he does not lay a hand on you and stop the control, Lauren. You can survive on your own and I am always here to help you no matter what. And all of us are here. We are a family that comes together. We come together no matter what, no matter where we are in our lives. We will stop, we will come together, and we will help. She never expressed to me that it was, that it was a life or death situation. But Danny discovered through her searches that Lauren wasn't silent about Gabby's abuse to everyone and that it had been going on for a while, unlike what Lauren had told her friend Erica. We went to the 7-Eleven across the street 
And I found out that Lauren had gone to the 7-Eleven frequently. It was kind of her safe place. She would usually go there later at night. She would go there and talk about Gabby, her boyfriend, and she would share that she was in a really bad relationship. It was toxic. It was violent at times, physically and verbally. Paul also discovered that others knew about the abuse when he began searching. He heard from people in the area that Lauren had vocalized her abuse. From I understand from the people that worked at Publix that, you know, she would come in and she would talk to them and like kind of whisper and was always looking over her shoulder to see if somebody was watching her. She was always scared, always said she was in a, in a bad relationship with him and she was scared of him and, you know, she's trying to get out of it. He was a very, from I understand, very controlling person. You know, if she was going to go out and do something, he would take all her makeup, take clothes that she didn't want her to wear. If he got mad at her, he would take the Wi-Fi so she didn't have a phone. He couldn't, she couldn't even make a phone call because she only had a Wi-Fi phone. So he would unplug the Wi-Fi and take it. That's the kind of guy he was. Lauren's relationship with Gabby has been described as, quote, on again, off again by her family. And Cassie would come to find out that off again with Gabby meant on with someone else. It's our understanding that, like, when Lauren and Gabby would be on again, off again, like, on their off again, she would stay with Carl. Apparently, they had an intimate relationship. Talking to her, like, her acquaintances, they say yes. Like, Gabby knows of Carl. Carl lived nearby. It's unclear how or when they met, but he was also significantly older than Lauren, and he too had accumulated a litany of arrests and convictions, again accessible through public records. But that didn't seem to phase Lauren, who on more than one occasion said that she felt safe with him. It's also my understanding that Lauren hung out with Carl because she felt safe, which I feel like Anybody that's in a toxic relationship or doesn't have a lot of friends may find safety or reassurance in somebody who's big and built and has money and has a car and maybe is not in like the best line of work, but doesn't automatically make them a bad person. Carl was a businessman, but his business wasn't exactly legal. Carl was an alleged drug trafficker in the area with ties to that 808 apartment complex mentioned in the last episode, according to Danny. He had recently become more well-known to the public when he was arrested on charges of tampering with human remains and failure to report a death to the medical examiner, among other things. He had a bunch of people doing drugs at his house. I guess his house was a big drug party house and a lot of girls went missing. Two girls were killed there. They died of the overdose. Then they hid the bodies. I know he went to jail before she went missing, but this is all things that I've heard since she went missing. I never knew any of this at the time. It was reported that on April 17th, 2020, the body of a 19-year-old woman had been discovered along a road in Gator Circle in North Cape Coral, which is about 14 miles north of Four Freedoms Park. Her cause of death was ruled an accidental overdose, which allegedly occurred at the residence where Carl lived. 
Instead of reporting the incident, he and four other people conspired to wrap the woman's body in a carpet and attempt to hide her body on the side of a road. His house was raided, drugs and related paraphernalia were found, and he and two of his associates were arrested on May 20th, 2020. Two more were on the run, but would soon also be found and arrested on June 10th. There were rumors of additional overdoses, as Lindsay mentioned, but this was never confirmed. Carl was subsequently released on bail on June 28th, nine days after Lauren's disappearance. He would later be arrested again on drug-related charges, and at the time of this podcast recording, he's still incarcerated and awaiting his trial. We did reach out to his lawyer for comment on their relationship, but we haven't heard back. We'll circle back if we do. There are many questions about Lauren's involvement with Carl. For example, it's unclear if Lauren was present at the time of the overdose incident or the raid on Carl's house and subsequent arrest on May 20th. What's also unclear is the timeline of Lauren being on again with Carl or on again with Gabby. But what is clear is that there was some overlap. She was pregnant and that the child could either be Gabby's or Carl's. Like there wasn't any definitive answer on whose child it was. Lauren was pregnant. Lauren was already a mother to a beautiful little girl who would turn six during her disappearance, and she loved her daughter more than anything. The love for her daughter, like, when she speaks about her daughter, her whole face just lights up, you know? She loves that little girl with all her being. But Lauren did not currently have custody of her daughter. We will get into more detail about that in the next episode. But for those of you who have been wondering where her daughter is or concerned for her safety, she's fine and safe and with her grandmother, not Anne, her other grandmother. Likewise, Gabby did not have custody of his children. Lauren had talked to Lindsay about her situation. I think they weren't opposed to having more kids, but I think they were both wanting to get their kids back before they brought any more kids into the world. But Lauren loves kids. Clearly, Lauren was facing a difficult decision. It's also my understanding that Carl didn't want her to have the abortion and Gabby didn't want her to have the abortion. But then Gabby and Lauren talked about it and they were just not in a financial place to have another child. Which brings us back to May 22nd. It's the day Lauren did get an abortion. Christian spoke with Lauren just prior to that day. I know it was a very difficult decision for her. I remember feeling very skeptical because there was something that she wasn't saying. And I knew there was something that there was a lot that she wasn't saying. As far as she had communicated with me, like Gabby had left. I don't know to where and for exactly how long he was gone, but that he left and She decided that that's what she wanted to do and that that's what was best. And then within a few days, I think, of her actually going to have the abortion, then he was back in the picture. Paul received an upsetting call from Lauren that afternoon. She actually had an abortion that day. She called me crying because he didn't go. He didn't pay for it like he said he was going to. She said she was sitting on the couch 
and he came home from work and she wasn't feeling good. All she did was ask him, can he get her a bowl of soup? And then he beat her for that. And that's it. That's all she told me. According to Paul, Lauren said that not only did Gabby not accompany her to the abortion, he added injury to insult. And she sent pictures to Paul on May 22nd as evidence of the damage that Gabby had done. You can see on her arm where she blocked, there's a big mark on her arm over here. She can see where there's like handprints and strangle marks on her neck. And then on her side where she's like all like kind of scratched and starting to welt up on her hip. I got the text message. I'm like, did you have him arrested? Well, first I said, what the fuck? That's what I wrote. What WTAL? And then I was like, you know, did you have him arrested? And then she's like, you know, she didn't say, and I was like, listen, I'm coming down there. But Paul didn't travel to Florida. This was all happening smack dab in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there were travel restrictions, lockdowns, quarantines. Paul decided he would wait until it was safer to travel. But that didn't mean he wasn't concerned about his daughter. To Paul's dismay, not only did Lauren not file charges against Gabby for the alleged abuse, she continued to stay with him, and they actually seemed to have rekindled their relationship. But again, this was no surprise for those who were aware of their on-again, off-again pattern. I know she really loved him, and you know, supposedly he treated her like a queen, was what I was told. Why do women stay with their abusers? I, I don't know. I'm dealing with a 15 or 14 year old kid. I'm dealing with an adult. So my daughter, I still have my, I can say what I want. What can I actually do about it? Paul was impeded by COVID travel restrictions, but Cassie was in the same state within driving distance and could check up on her sister more easily. And to their surprise was a firsthand witness to Lauren and Gabby's happiness. Cassie saw Lauren on Saturday, June 13th, three weeks after the incident on May 22nd five days before Lauren disappeared. I had driven from my residence to hers and I met up with her and Gabriel and I picked them up and we went to the beach that day and we actually just had like a really good day. And Lauren and Gabriel that day were like hugging and kissing and dancing and like life was just good. I know that Lauren and Gabriel's relationship was very up and down and probably not the happiest relationship, but like not all relationships are rainbows and butterflies, you know, like you have your trials and tribulations, but like that's just a relationship. And I've only met Gabby twice. I never really judged him in any way because I don't know him. She always said that he treated her well. I mean, I will say like they were on again, off again. I'm not just blaming Gabby for like an unhealthy relationship. Lauren can be a lot to handle sometimes. That day, Lauren was like, you know, yeah, we're good. And like, you know, like I said, they were hugging and kissing and dancing, and I had no reason to ever believe that they weren't. When I left that day, I felt really good about, like, where she was. But then, like, she went missing five days later. Cassie saw a happy couple just five days before Lauren's disappearance, and Lauren told her that everything was fine. At the time, Cassie breathed a big sigh of relief because, well, there's even more to the story. There was another notable situation that occurred between May 22nd and Cassie's visit on June 13th. It's a big part of the reason Cassie had gone to visit her sister that particular weekend. And its aftershock would lead right up to the day that Lauren disappeared. On the next, complicit. A handwritten letter causes concern. She left this note. That note could be taken as she is going to harm herself or that 
she thinks something bad is going to happen to her. Lauren's strange behavior catches people's attention. Bystanders had called the police saying that a woman was acting erratic, and it was Lauren. Her family doesn't know what to believe. She was saying that she was scared that something bad was going to happen. And, I mean, you could say she was paranoid, but clearly something bad did happen. But where is Lauren DeMolo? Thanks for listening to Complicit, a true mystery podcast about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo. If you have any information about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo, please call 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. Or go to www.capecops.com slash tips. Or you can text a tip to CRIMES. That's 274637. Tips can be left anonymously. And there is a reward currently being offered for information leading to an arrest. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and continued developments in Lauren's case. For additional information you won't hear and can't see on the podcast, visit our website at complicit-podcast.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Complicit Podcast, on Twitter at Complicit underscore pod, and on Instagram at Complicit underscore podcast. Complicit is a production of 7th Guest Productions and produced by Resonate Recordings. And now, here's another podcast we like, and you may as well.